0: Welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. This is your DC Spotlight episode for April 11th, 2023. bit of a smaller week this week, which is always welcome. Uh, I think there's like six or seven books we're going to talk about in detail. But overall, I thought it was okay. There were some books that left me a little confused. Maybe that's on me. There were some books that I thought were awesome. And there's some books that I thought had potential. So overall, not bad. What do you think, Rocky.
1: Uh, I thought, uh, well, there was exactly two that I... Well, three. I'll go three I, did, three I liked, and four were kind of meh. So, you know, and uh, you could probably guess which ones I liked, but uh, we'll get into it, and we'll, uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll have some fun, as we always do.
0: <clears throat> yeah, interesting, like I said, to, to have a, like a second week in a month be so light, but uh, it's not a bad thing. You yeah. know, we've talked recently about DC putting out too much content, so... Uh, let's kick it off with Wildcats number six. This is from uh, writer Matthew Rosenberg, Stephen Segovia, and Tom Dernick as the artist. Elmer Santos on colors. Farron Delgado does the letters. Now, this is the one that had me sort of confused, um, and it, it's a little—I don't want to say frustrating, but it was—it was just a little surprising, to be honest. Because you know we've really enjoyed what Matthew Rosenberg has done with Grifter. We've talked about it a lot. You know that. That grifter story that kicked off Batman: Urban Legends, which was so good. Here he's taken on you know the whole Wildcat's team, and he's introduced some interesting concepts with you know the Seven Soldiers, and you know there people hear Seven Soldiers DC, they think Seven Soldiers of Victory. They think Grant Morrison. Here are these you know Wildstorm characters that are filling the role, and they're uh, not being completely honest, and they're working for the Halo Corporation, and one of them's claiming to be. Uh, Kryptonian majestic or majesty or whatever his name is. Um, and meanwhile, grifter supposedly dead. And then he's back. And it's, it has to do with a grifter that was taken from a different part of the multiverse and his body was substituted. And there's like a lot going on that we don't really know. And I feel like it's sort of jumping around and maybe I've missed stuff. But I, when I first started reading this issue, I literally felt like I had missed an issue in between. Um, and I haven't. So, Again I think it'll all come together eventually and when it reads in a trade it probably make a lot of sense but you know with a month in between and all the number of books that we read and again that's on me, I, I just felt like it it didn't quite land uh, for me. So uh, you know I'm still gonna read it I'm still enjoying it. I think the art is solid if not spectacular. you know I've talked before about how it, it doesn't quite have the dynamic impact that I've seen Segovia's art have in the past. Maybe this particular issue with him sharing uh, art duties with Tom Dernick, that might be contributing to it as well. But what I do like is the voices of these Wildstorm characters, how they sound when Matthew Rosenberg is writing for them, whether it's Zealot or Fairchild or Cole Cash, Grifter himself. I enjoy that aspect of it. Um, Spartan, again, really enjoy that. The fact that it's now uh, this whole idea of Michael Cray's personality being transplanted from body to body to body. The fact that he's in Spartan now, uh, he's in this robot, that's fantastic. Uh, kind of a double agent within Halo and setting up Mar- Jacob Marlowe to be the bad guy. That's interesting as well. You know, the whole idea of him as a, a businessman, corrupt, wanting to almost be, you know, a puppet master behind scenes, pulling uh, strings and, and manipulating events. It's interesting, right? Because he always sort of felt even back in the day with, in the Wildstorm Universe in Wildcats with Marlo, that he was a little bit egotistical. He was a little bit arrogant, a little bit like, you know, I know better, I know best, um, and I'm going to manipulate events to have things go the way I think they should go. Um, so yeah, that's kind of kind of interesting. The other thing that I notice um, is it has a very distinctive font for the uh, for the lettering, which, you know, I'm sure is purposeful, I'm sure if I went back and looked at some of those old Wildstorm books that it, it might have a very similar font um, from Farron Delgado. I mean, Farron Delgado didn't do the lettering back then, but um, nothing quite looks like the lettering in a in, in a Wildcats book. So. Yes.
1: I never really um, thought of that until you you mentioned it. I guess it is slightly different, but I, I wouldn't have caught indeed. that. So it's a good eye, Augie. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I it's definitely, that.
0: yeah it's quite, definitely interesting. And and the fact that, um, last thing I'll mention is Rosenberg, you know, attempting to really incorporate these characters in the DC universe, which has been tried, you know, three or four times at this point. It never has really worked, um, but he's doing it a little more subtly. You know, like we have Clark can't show up here. We have Superman last issue. Batman shows up to talk to Clark in this issue. So, it's working for me um, but i don't know if it's a matter of, of pacing or a matter of rosenberg having these big ideas and just not having quite enough room to flesh them all out but yeah and, and it may be 100% on me i might go back and reread this if i have if i can find the time and have you know reading in a big chunk may make a lot more sense for me so overall kind of in the middle for me kind of kind of average some had good points had bad points um but i'm still enjoying it overall so what are your thoughts?
1: Well, I actually I, I agree with you uh, in terms of my first impression when I read this. I initially thought I maybe we'd missed an issue too, but I know that we don't miss an issue because we review everyone that comes out. So, I uh, I went back and I did look at my notes from the last issue. I didn't take any notes this issue, and uh, this one does really it, it does sort of jump ahead a bit because, and I think the most jarring the jarring aspect of it is the fact that we we. We were very much led to believe that Cole Cash was was either dead or that there was another body of the another another grifter body from elsewhere in the multiverse has replaced Cole Cash's body. And in this issue where we jump right into it, Cole Cash just suddenly appears. He literally just appears in a scene out of nowhere. There's no build up to it. No, nothing. He's just suddenly there. He shows up. He shows up. And appears to void, and void is in the middle of one of her kind of crazy pseudo sexual moments. It's, it's really kind of a really off, kind of a disturbing scene. Like Void is sort of this, she's half human, half machine. And she's always into some pseudo-sexual, weird, sexual, kink, kinky stuff. <laughs> and, and I don't know, uh, Rosenberg seems to enjoy, you know, doing dialogue for that. And, and strangely enough, I mean, I kind of agree with you that he does seem to have the language, the dialogue down for these characters. He knows these characters and it's... You really do hit the ground running, and it's 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 funny, and it's kind of funny in that respect. But at the same time, it uh, it, it feels a little bit jarring at times. But uh, I will say that this w- w- what's really building to a head here is the fact that what I read this tw- you know I well I should say I skim read it twice, and if I got it on the on the skim re- on the skim read the second time, and clearly something's wrong with the Halo Corporation. It's now revealed that Void uh, has been uh, suspecting that the Halo Corporation has been corrupt. Maybe Marlo is the one behind the corruption. Maybe this Ariana is, and she's planning a coup to overcome Marlo. Uh, and and um, Cole Cash returns. Uh, Spartan, it's revealed, is actually is actually Deathblow. Uh, Deathblow's uh, Death mind is, is now in the body of Spartan. So that's an interesting revelation. And so clearly the, the Wildcats here, uh, are, it looks like they were initially being used as, as pawns and, and, as, and Deathblow was killed ostensibly because he discovered or she, he, she, she discovered that, that something was wrong and that something was wrong or that Halo was corrupt and Deathblow was supposedly killed, but it looks like Void is a few steps ahead of, the people that are trying to take control of Halo, which is maybe Ariana, maybe Harlow or Marlow, we're not sure. Uh, in any event, there's a lot of action that takes place here. And uh, there is clearly, you know, there's the, the sides have been taken. So, but the good news here is that this, what Matthew Rosenberg has done um, is he's created a double-edged sword. If you're longtime fans of Wildcats, you're going to know who the classic wildcats are and the classic wildcat characters are the good guys but there's more characters in here and some of them are corrupt and they're the bad guys but if you're not familiar with the wildcat characters I don't think Matthew Rosenberg's done a good enough job of sort of establishing who all these players are I still would really like that first opening page to say who all the characters are it would be helpful even for me a longtime wildcat fan it can get a little bit uh, you know still still a little bit you know maybe I'm maybe I'm being uh, maybe i should just be a little bit more uh forth i don't know be, uh, i should be more uh investigative and uh, re- refresh myself on on all the characters but i would uh i would like uh, to me i i always compare this to batman incorporated you know Wildcats and batman incorporated they're so similar in in, in different ways and it's and they both of them sort of I think almost suffer from too many characters but that can that's that's also it can be a blessing and a curse so every time i bitch about it there's a cool issue that comes along and makes me kind of glad that we got all these characters but in any event i didn't mind this and i'm really curious to see where this is going to go how the wildcats are going to overcome this 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 uh this what's happening with uh, the, the Halo Corporation. Plus, Batman shows up and tells Clark Kent to back off, you know, because Clark Kent knows that something's wrong because of what Majestic's claiming to be Kryptonian. Majestic's not really... He's acting like a child. Something's wrong there. And Batman tells Superman... To Clark Kent, please back off. Clark Kent, try to investigate and ask a bunch of questions of Marlo. So it's it's nice that we're getting some incorporation of Wildcats into the larger DC universe here, and so I like that Rosenberg is doing that. He's up for the challenge of that, and I got to give Rosenberg credit. The types of criticisms that I think both you and I are giving Rosenberg in terms of all these characters is that he's going big. He's not a, he's not insulting us. He's not he's not spoon feeding us. He's expecting us to to play along and, and keep up. And, you know, and I, I, part of me respects that part of me kind of says, I wish you'd slow down a bit, but I can also respect it too. So uh, overall I am entertained and I am looking forward to where this is headed.
0: Yeah, I agree. And uh, like I said, the fact that Rosenberg is incorporating the main DCU in slowly, I think maybe, maybe it can find, <laughs> um, I don't know. It, it hasn't worked in the past, but which is so interesting, right? Because, We've seen DC incorporate other characters, characters from Fawcett, characters from Quality, um, and, and it's worked. Like nobody thinks of Blue Beetle as not part of the, you know, overall DC universe. Nobody th- thinks of Shazam or Captain Marvel as not a part. But I think people think of these Wildstorm characters as, you know, not fully integrated. So, not sure why it's it, it hasn't worked. But uh, anyway, moving on. Uh, you mentioned Batman Incorporated. That's what's up next. Uh, issue number seven, This Little Piggy Part 2, which so interesting to get just a two-part story, uh, which actually ends up being really satisfying. It's from writer Ed Brisson. Michelle Bandini is the artist. Rex Locus on colors. Clayton Cowell does the letters. Um, the art was so interesting. Like When we get, get the initial splash page, it looked a little textured, a little different, not quite as bright or as dynamic as the art that we had in the last issue. But then as the story went along, I, I, I sort of saw it start to morph and look more like it did last issue. It, it, more than anything, I think maybe it's just the colors. I did not go back and look and see whether it was a different color artist this time or if it was Rex Locus last time as well. I really enjoyed the line work of Michelle Bandini last issue. Um, and I, I, I do here as well, but not as much as last issue. It, it just, it's not quite as sharp. Um, so again, I'm not hundred percent sure if that was on her or if that's on the color artist, uh, you know, just a different dynamic. Uh, The art is still very, very strong. Um, Her storytelling is awesome. I love how she sometimes gives us a scene, um, but breaks it into two panels. Like, you know, one image that's broken into two panels is kind of interesting. And the way the letters uh, are laid out in that really is a fantastic uh, storytelling device. So, Overall, I really enjoyed this, and yeah, it's not an exaggeration to say this is my my favorite Professor Pig story that I've ever seen. Um, uh, that I've <laughs> ever read. I'm not a big fan of Professor Pig, but we got just enough of him here so that he seems crazy like he, he is, but uh, not. It wasn't overdone like so many times. I get Professor Pig stories where I, I can't believe that anybody would follow the guy, anybody would listen to the guy. Uh, you know, here is his henchmen or Daltrons, you know, they're they're automatons, so easy to understand why they would follow him. Uh, Brisson's also setting up some really interesting seeds that have been planted for this idea that Ghostmaker has agreed to uh, Batman or Bruce Wayne's um, edict that he not kill. You know, he he comes across right at the beginning, right in the first few pages, he comes across Batman's rogues gallery that Professor Pig has has captured, right? Uh, We saw that last issue where he captured a bunch of these villains, thinking that one of them was behind the kidnapping of his mother. And we never do get an answer if it's really his mother or somebody he's fixated on his mother or what have you, because it's kind of not the point. But as I said, Ghostmaker comes across these um, Batman villains that are all chained up. And again, it's, it's, I, I kind of set it aside. I don't think about it too much, but Professor Pig, again, he doesn't really have any superpowers, yet he was able to capture all of these, like even the Riddler, right? The Riddler who we're told is, you know, basically the the most um, genius bat- level Batman villain. Um, but even, you know, Killer Croc, uh, Clayface, like these are not easy guys to capture. He's got them all captured. And Ghostmaker is so tempted to, to take them out, you know, to give them um, the permanent solution, as it were, because he's thinking about, All the harm, all the lives, all the murders that these villains may commit in the future. Um, And ultimately, he decides to keep his word that he gave to Batman. But you can tell in the back of his mind, he's thinking, man, the next time I hear one of these guys kill somebody, uh, you know, the glove. He tells Nightwing as much, you know, He, he calls Nightwing, Nightwing shows up with some of the Titans uh, or some of the other bat family rather to, uh, to go and take all these guys to, um, to Blackgate prison and Ghostmaker basically says, yeah, I'm, I'm following through with what I said I was going to do know that I had them. I could have ended them all. um, But I chose not to because I'm in Batman city. So I'm going to let you take them. But if any of them escape, if any of them kill again, it's going to be on your head. You know, so does that mean that Ghostmaker is going to go after Nightwing? Is he going to go after the guys that – the villains that kill again? Is it both? Uh, who knows? But, again, there's some foreshadowing there of, of some drama intention to come. Um, last thing I'll mention before I get Rocky's thoughts is there is a, a moment where in his uh, civilian disguise clown or, – or guys, rather um, – Clown Hunter goes to get some pizza, and he gets it from Marvin George's Pizza, and you can see uh, an image of George Perez there, the one manning the the pizza. I guess it's sort of like a little a little stand. Uh, it's not not a food truck necessarily, but I thought that was kind of cool, a nice little yeah. homage to uh, to George Perez. So, uh, anyway, what were your thoughts on the issue? I,
1: I I do think it's interesting, as you said, that Ghostmaker is sort of he expressed a. He seriously contemplated... You know, killing all Batman's rogues, or at least—I mean, I suppose you could argue that he was just doing that to piss off uh, or to scare the Riddler. But then he repeated the same thing to Nightwing. I don't know if he was just posturing or what have you. I mean, he's Ghostmaker by his own right, has his own fortune. He's a multi-billionaire in his own right. He doesn't need Wayne money. He doesn't need Wayne. I mean, he can arguably—I even think—I think I might be wrong, but I think Ghostmaker is even funding, financing a lot of the Ghost Batman Incorporated and. It's rather curious. Why is he doing all this? And and, and more, more to the point, what makes him what makes Ghostmaker's comments almost paradoxical is that at the end of the issue he actually gives Clown Hunter a compliment, because Clown Hunter did a good job tracking down uh, Mr. Pig in his own right. And so he gives him a compliment, and then at the and then at the at the same time he's turning around and he's expressing some some desire to use lethal force and you know what what makes that interesting is that by far it would seem to me that as far as i can tell every single member of batman incorporated ascribes to batman's ideology of of not killing of not using lethal force so ghostmaker would literally be an outlier in his own team if, if he was to somehow ascribe to that or somehow make an about face. And so it's interesting that writer Ed Brizon is teasing that. Makes you wonder, where is this going to be headed? Um, frankly, I wouldn't even mind. I wouldn't mind Ghostmaker taking a little bit more of an anti-hero uh, turn, to be quite blunt. I mean, we already have one Batman. Why, why not have them? Why not explore that a little bit? I, I think I think it's interesting. So I, I, I do like that. Uh, there is one final point that, uh, we last issue we got we met gyro's father uh and which was kind of al- almost out of the blue because it was outside the main narrative here of the mr Pig narrative and it appears that uh this is leading into joker incorporated about two or three issues ago we met a group of clowns that appeared to be you know well they were joker incorporated and a character here at the end by the name of uh dusty bronco uh, ends up murdering gyro's father at the end. Uh, just uh, and so clearly that's gonna have consequences and I'm not really sure it looks like this Dusty Bronco wants to uh, also kill gyro as well uh the idea of joker incorporated because we have batman incorporated i do think is a little bit kind of, maybe a little bit corny but i suppose inevitable you know what do you do when you don't have enough joker and batman books you got batman incorporated and joker incorporated so you can get different kinds of jokers and different kinds of batman right of course because that's so original but uh in fairness ed brison's doing a good job here keeping me entertained i want to give a shout out there is an alternate cover a uh, cover a variant cover it's, i don't know if it's cover c it's, it's it's it actually shows dusty bronco it's probably i'm guessing i don't know maybe that is his first cover appearance speculator alert i don't think dusty bronco's been on a cover yet i think this is the first time that we met dusty bronco but we may have met him met saw dusty bronco on the final page I think last issue or the issue before, where it teased Joker incorporated. So, this is a, you know, this is this is a has been a series with consequences. It's been has been decent character work, and I I like comparing Ed Brisen and and Matthew Rosenberg. I think they're both doing uh, competent jobs. I'd still say I'll give Ed Brisen the the slight edge uh, advantage in terms of uh keeping me entertained with handling so many characters but matthew rosenberg does tend to make me laugh a little bit more i don't mind his humor some of it not all of it and uh yeah so you know it's not not a bad issue
0: yeah and again i was really pleasantly like when was the last time we had a two-issue story you know and it <laughs> yeah. was completely satisfying completely wrapped yeah. up and yeah. Really good. Really good.
1: That's right. Uh,
0: all right. Up, up next, we have the Sandman Universe Nightmare Country, The Glass House, number one. This is uh, James Tynan continuing the story from Nightmare Country. Uh, so he's the writer, Lissandro Esterin who was the artist in the first uh, volume of Nightmare Country, returns. Uh, Patricio Del pesh does color, Simon Bolin on letters. Uh, there's no kind of, intermission type story with a different artist like we've had in, in in past issues uh this introduces a new character um who appears much like the the main character i can't even remember what her name was but the art college student who was the one who would see the corinthian walking around who could see monsters who was eventually killed in the first issue um, you know she had the ability to to see the corinthian and to see kind of the the, the world behind the world that is nightmare country and this guy, uh, I don't know if we ever get his name, but uh, he seems like he's going to be the main character. Um, Matt, I think, yeah, Max. Max, is, Max. Yeah, Max. Um, yeah. And it seems like he has that ability as well, um, much like the, the uh, art scroll student did in in the first issue. So we're introduced to him. We know he works uh, in finance, a little bit tropey, right? And we start talking about things like... Um, God, what was that movie with Keanu Reeves and Al Pacino?
1: Devil's uh, Advocate. Devil's Advocate, Advocate. right.
0: Uh, yeah. yeah We've seen a lot of times in stories where, you know, um, Satan comes to earth or, or demons are here and they, you know, they're, uh, they're sort of legitimate businesses somewhere in finance, right? The whole idea of um, playing off the old cliche money is the root of all evil, which actually isn't what was said. It's the love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, Certainly these financial corporations do seem to love money. So um, he's involved in this this world of high finance. And of course that leads to a lot of depravity and going to this bar called um, the King of Pain where you can basically have anything you desire happen like wild orgies are implied and all that sort of stuff. Um, And this guy, Max, when we first meet him he finally gets invited, right? Because they they go to a regular nightclub first and then his boss invites those he thinks are, are ready and they go to this King of Pain bar slash club, where once you go, you're on the list. Um, and we come to find out that the financial institution that this his boss Ken runs actually owns the the King of Pain bar. So it's all wrapped up uh, in, with the the demon or fallen angel, however you want to look at it, Azazel, um, who we see at the end. Uh, so again, playing on the the ideas that Tynan uh, introduced in the first. Uh, story in the first volume of, of Nightmare Country. What I really, really enjoy is that the story that Tynan told in the first volume—it seemed pretty contained, pretty small, if you will. Uh, you know, as much as it can be small, we're talking about demons and heaven and hell and all that sort of thing. But it, it seemed um, very much within its own confines, right? Like beginning, middle, end. Um, other than the fact that obviously Satan demons, whatever are going to continue on. I mean, they're, they're uh, everlasting. They're immortal. Right. Um, But it seemed like that story was over and done with. And now what we're seeing is, you know, when you add in the Corinthian, when you add in these, these demons and start talking about the the, sort of the wider world of nightmare country, it's much bigger and more complex than I originally had thought. Um, I'm not the biggest Sandman universe fan. Um, I, I read all of them when it was relaunched. I got, it's been four or five years now. I mean, it was before the the pandemic, maybe 2018 or so. Um, so maybe, yeah, five or six years, it's been that long. Uh, and I was on everything. Like I was reading it all for about the first two or three issues. And I was like, you know what, this is just not for me. It didn't hold my interest. This holds my interest. This is interesting to me. Um, and even the uh, Lysandro Estrin art, because it's sort of color, um, or it's it's probably digitally painted, but it looks very watercolor. It's not uh, you know really sharp, but clean art. The backgrounds at times are very light, so it's not usually the type of art that um, I would enjoy. But it suits the narrative and the tone of the story so well. That's uh, you know one of those situations where I really can't picture anybody else drawing the story. It just wouldn't look quite quite right. So uh, really impressed with what Tynan is doing. He's really showing uh, a flair for horror, which. Uh, you know, I enjoyed his superhero work, so um, I, I do miss him doing traditional superhero stuff. But I have to admit that this feels like where he is at his best. You know, things like uh, Department of Truth, obviously um, something is killing the children, um, this Nightmare Country, o- other things that he's done on his Substack and what have you um, seems to, to be where his true passion lies. And when, when, as we've said so many times, when creators are having fun and really leaning into what they do best um, you know, the quality comes through in the work. You can tell they're having fun. You get their best work. Uh, you can look at, you know, Scott Snyder's work that he's doing right now. Um, you know, clear and Noctara and um, even we have demons have that stuff so much better than any of his superhero stuff. And certainly his most recent things like, uh, you know, death metal and, and all that stuff that just really didn't land for me. The work he's doing now is so much better. Um, so, I really en- enjoyed this, like, surprisingly so. Like I said, oh, Night- Nightmare Country is coming back. I didn't know we were getting a second volume of that. Yeah, the first one was okay. Let me dive in. And I enjoyed this way more than I thought I would. Like, I finished reading it, and I was like, wow, that was really, really good. So, Tynan is uh, is firing on all cylinders with this series. So, uh,
1: what did you think? Well, I thought it was I thought it was a little bit uh, tropey. And you actually nailed it right on the head. I, you said devil's advocate. This is pretty much... Yeah. Plot for plot, it's the Devil's Advocate. It's just a a kid named Max joins a high finance firm. He's very popular. Uh, he's very good, and he he's waiting for the the big invite to the party. And the, everyone knows that if you get invited to the party, you're, you've made you've made the big leagues. And of course, the head of the big party is this this strange, very eccentric sort of boss who talks about the end of times. The Biblical Times the end of times very eccentric sends him this big club this king of pain club and and then a woman shows up that he 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 dreams of you know he wants to talk to this girl again he's he's surprisingly insecure for somebody who's apparently done very well in finance and he's surprisingly insecure and of course typical low self-esteem kind of loser for suddenly so he's a king of, he's really good at dealing with finance, but then he just wants to talk, you know, I mean, not like most guys where you get a free hooker. I mean, you're going to take her, but no, this guy just wants to talk to her. Yeah, okay, whatever. So he's just going to talk to her. And, and literally that's, it, it's, I mean, the, the comment by another one of the demons, this Lord Azrael is talking to one of his like demon, demon minions at the end and she's, basically saying all he wants is to talk that's a pretty low price for a soul because apparently max doesn't know that he's actually trading his soul here for where he's at so it's kind of interesting it's kind of sad and it's kind of pathetic in a way but at the same time everything i just said i probably made it sound like i'm criticizing it uh but i am actually kind of curious to see why is the devil supposedly the devil why is he so concerned about this this kid I mean, what? Why? Why? I, this is sort of a. I guess they're trying to, you know, bargain for some souls. What's the point here? How does this involve the Corinthian? Because we know that uh, what the the female character whose name I also forget from the first series, she's now linked to the Corinthian. She's sort of the human host of the Corinthian. He can't do anything without her consent and approval and so the corinthian in order to keep tabs on what the corinthian is doing she he's kind of they're kind of linked and so it's going to be interesting to see how this all comes to play and there's probably larger stakes here that this king of pain nightclub is probably a front for something far more uh evil and nefarious and clearly biblical in nature so we'll have to wait and see
0: yeah we should uh point i should point out i just realized, even though i haven't seen the movie in years devil's advocate is a law firm not a finance still the, the point stands. that's right it, yeah yeah it is a little it is a little derivative um uh, i would argue that finance guys may be even more evil than lawyers <laughs> uh, who knows you know, uh, uh, you know i'm not just saying that because rocky's a lawyer either i really do think they're all they're all scumbags so yeah. uh present present company excluded <laughs> oh uh, anyway, of course let's move on uh, Danger Street Number Five, uh, Manhunter. Tom King is the writer. Jorge Fornes does the art. Dave Stewart on colors. Clayton Cowell on letters. Uh, I'm gonna let you go first on this one because uh, I have a feeling you probably really enjoyed it.
1: Uh, I, I did it. Uh, I actually really enjoyed. There's a there's a wonderful battle here. I mean, I mean the central the central gist of Danger Street is a series of, of comic book first issue one shots that basically if, from the 1970s failed comic book series involving, uh, involving warlord, involving, uh, the, the, the uh, lady cop involving, uh, uh, Codename assassin character involving the dingbats of Danger Street and how these all weave together. Tom King took the challenge of weaving all of these together in some kind of narrative and uh, he's managed to do it, you know. All, and it essentially this evolves around this sort of uh, murder mystery because ultimately Warlord and Starman in the first issue, in trying to Im- attract the Justice League, they they. They tried to attract Dark Side. They wanted to defeat Dark Side and hopefully to attract Justice League membership. Unfortunately, Dark Side never showed up. Instead, uh, instead uh, someone else did and ended up getting killed. And they ended up Starman ended up accidentally killing uh, Good Looks, this young young man who's a member of the Dingbats of Danger Street. And now the Dingbats of Danger Street they want to they want to kill Starman. They want to avenge the death of their friend. Lady Cop is investigating. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Warlord wants to dig up. They want to dig up the body of uh, of Good Looks for reasons which I'm I'm not quite clear on. To be quite honest with you. Uh, meanwhile, we got the creeper. Uh, we got the creeper involved as well, whose alter ego is a reporter and who is uh, being paid by the uh, Green Team to foster fear against this imaginary group called the Outsiders. Batman takes issue with that. Batman confronts the Creeper in this issue uh, by telling him to stop it. And Creeper basically tells him to go fly a kite. You know, you can't, you can't tell me what to do. Uh, we got Manhunter who ends up, uh, uh, ends up uh, having a crisis of conscience. He conscience he he confronts one of the, this evil mo- movie producer who uh, earlier on was. I can't even remember what the hell he did, what role he played. I'm sorry, my memory is I got to... All these things are linked, and I want to be clear on this point. This is the fault of me, the reader, because uh, when this thing reads as a trade, all this... I, this is, this is going to read very smoothly, because I think you can tell all the, the... Things are happening quickly here. It's building to a head. And uh, my favorite part of the issue is watching Starman and Orion fight uh Orion, the son of Darkseid, fighting Starman, uh, because Orion is there to figure out, you know, what's what's going on because uh the the Grand Master and Darkseid basically sent Orion on a mission there to find out uh presumably who killed um Atlas. who was it? Atlas, right. Atlas was killed by Starman, but it was and um and I'm I'm not even sure. I mean it's basically just too much testosterone. Orion is filled with testosterone and attacks first, Starman, you know, and, and so rather than just talk it out, Warlord tries to get them to talk it out because they're. I think they both have the same, you know, I think people are wondering exactly at this point, even we readers, we're wondering, what's the big deal here? We know that Atlas is dead and that supposedly the sky is falling but other than that being sort of a biblical kind of reference what does that really mean what's the significance of atlas Gr- granted atlas is a a god of new genesis but what's the big deal that atlas is dead i mean i know it's a big deal when a god dies but but really what what's the big deal we don't really know yet meanwhile we got we got <laughs> we got these assassins against, we got the green team slowly being eliminated by the Manhunter and Codename Assassin trying his best to protect the members of the green team. But it looks like one of the members of the green team, this Houston character, wants to buy Codename Assassin to basically... uh, use his brothers, Abdul and Cecil, as bait to basically have them be killed, you know, protect him over his brothers, and he'll pay him extra money. And so there's some betrayals going on even amongst the green team. And meanwhile, we got uh, we got an, uh, just an, an incredible sequence that I just love. Warlord is driving in the desert. Uh, Warlord, and go to, uh, Warlord and Starman go to the desert to dig up the body. <laughs> to dig up the body of, uh, I think, I think it must be Atlas. They're digging up the body of Atlas. No, they're digging up good looks. Cause they good wanna looks. Try to
0: bring him, they're trying to, they want to bring him back to life. Just kind of make up for the mistake they made.
1: Okay. Uh, I, okay. All right. So they're digging up the body of, and, and Warlord has, throws the coffin in the back of the car. He's driving back. And, uh, damn, if he doesn't get, uh, if he doesn't get, uh, he, he almost gets hit by the, the by the, uh, The the dingbats driving on a on a quad out to the desert to 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 go to to uh, try to kill Starman, and meanwhile, he's Warlord's almost hits them, and he screams at him and says, "Watch where you're going!" And he ends up ramming, slamming into Lady Cop, and then the coffin flies off Warlord's car, (laughs) crashes open. Meanwhile, Starman and Orion battle each other to a stalemate. Starman defeats Orion, but then faints afterwards. So this is an action-packed issue. And a lot happens. And there's, there's a lot of moving parts here. But it doesn't feel... Uh, again, I want to emphasize I, I'm 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 not I'm not connecting all the dots in my head, but I really had a, a very enjoyable time reading this and I only read it once. I'll definitely be reading it again. Uh, this is this is a really good, fun comic. This is good. This is this is probably my favorite issue so far. And I enjoyed le- I enjoyed the issues leading up to this. I got to tell you, this does not feel like a Tom King kind of story. Uh, this this actually feels like it's uh, this feels like a lot of fun like it's going from somewhere and I think I've said this before this feels like I'm watching like what is it snatch or that British movie or those British movies or a qu- quarantino movie where there a billion things are happening and everything's colliding and everything's gonna come in and happen all at once uh, it's just it just uh, it's a really it's a it's a really good time
0: oh yeah so uh, I don't know if it was a crisis of conscience for uh, for the Manhunter so much as uh, Codename Assassin was somehow using his powers like in a, at a very long distance, and it ends up causing him a, a lot of trouble, actually. He ends up fainting as he's backing up or bodyguarding one of the other members of the green team. Because you see when Manhunter goes to pull the trigger, like there's this blue energy around his uh, his finger. It keeps him from pulling the trigger. And then later he just goes, he throws it. He's like, screams at damn it. He throws the gun down and he goes to punch. And there's again, that blue energy stopping stopping him from punching this movie producer who, yeah, complete despicable scumbag. Like you always wonder about this green team, interesting choice from Tom King to make the members of the green team, you know, who are very young guys to make them like completely despicable. Like how can he be that young and that rich and, um, and so despicable. Like, who who did you learn from to be such a scumbag at such an early age? You know, I guess maybe in a lot of ways it um, it's reinforcing that idea that you know uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely because these guys have so much money that they can do anything they want. So uh, you're you're right in talking about how interesting the story has been in terms of um, weaving together all these. These, I mean, I don't know if Tom King just took it upon himself. I'm going to take all these, you know, first issue special characters and create stories with them that are so kind of wild and different and, you know, not what you would expect at all. So, you know, all the credit to, to Tom King for doing that. And, yeah, I'm, I'm having a, a lot of fun with it. Um, I... I don't really know where it's going. Uh, I, I am a little confused. Uh,
1: well, I'm can, are, can I ask you a question? Like what, what prevented, I don't understand. I never understood why the assassin fainted. Why did he faint?
0: So Codename Assassin was using his powers somehow.
1: Well, what powers does Man he have? We've, 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 he's never established what his powers are.
0: I don't, I don't know. I don't know what his powers are, but apparently he had the ability to know the actions, what Manhunter was doing, in attempting to kill another one of the green team and it was able to stop him somehow from all that distance away. But in doing so, you know, it, it drained him to the point where he passed out. And that's why, you you know, we're talking about the betrayal of the green team. And he says, yeah, it's, it's so hard protecting all three of us that are left. Maybe just protect one. Um, Because even, um, you know, even Codename Assassin himself, he says that, you know, it was so hard um, trying to protect those people. You know, he says it's difficult when there's distance. You know, he talks about having to try to, um, you know, project his abilities or his powers or, or what have you. So again, I, I'm not that familiar with Codename Assassin. It may be that his powers haven't ever really been that well established, and Tom King has taken it upon himself mm-hmm. uh, well, to do that. But yeah, he is he is guarding another. Member of the Green Team, the one that we see the most, the one that's always, you know, behind the desk at the the TV network or what have you, um because you see him there. He's holding his hands to his forehead, and there's like some green dots or whatever. It talks about a spell that he's casting um to protect uh, the other member of the the Green Team.
1: What what happened to the Manhunter here? Like, why did why did the Manhunter stop and initially not kill the the movie producer? And his and his Well, that's hands.
0: what I'm saying. He goes to, yeah, he goes to pull the trigger. He stopped. He goes no, to no, punch
1: There's him. no trigger. He's, he has a fist. Like, what trigger are you talking? Are you talking about? Yeah, at the, the the panel at the top. So you're or saying the, the assassin the, the, panel, the.
0: Yeah, the panel at the bottom of the previous page. See how there's the blue kind of smoke or what have you? Yeah, y- don't, don't yeah. Scroll down right there. See that blue smoke? Yeah. That's codename assassin stopping him from pulling the trigger on the gun. And so then he gets mad. Oh my god, he puts have- the gun down. He says, God damn it. And then he goes to punch him instead. And you see again, there's like that, that blue, purplish, grayish smoke that's stopping him. Sure. And so he gives up. He's like, uh ah, some some force is stopping me. Some force is this guy. And so he leaves. He goes to regroup and then he comes back later when codename assassin is I guess he's too tired to know what's going on, or maybe it's because he he agrees with what the leader of the Green Team says, and he's only going to protect him. And it appears as though Manhunter finishes the job um, by choking this movie producer in his sleep. This wow. member of the Green Team that
1: that was you know working as a. Uh, as a Hollywood scumbag basically. Wow. So I, I think that the color is screwed up when, because if, if that was, I have no, I had no idea that was the assassin. I never got that until you told me that it makes, it makes absolute sense what you're telling me. But if the assassin, then his headache, it should have been the same color as the, why did, you know, they, they should have made the, his, his headache when he was touching his temples. They should have made that the same color as the, the purple that was, that was, causing the manhunter to stop using it yeah you have, that to, read, made the connection you have to
0: read the um the narration by um, the narration by dr fate is what gives it away you know it says um the spell oh. was cast by another knight and and that sort of thing and you see him sort of fall down and then you know that in context with what uh, Codename Assassin says later about, you know, how difficult it is to try to protect at a great distance. That's when it really clicked for me. I'm like, Oh, he's, he, that's why he passed out. Cause he was the one he was yeah. the, that used his powers. He was the blue smoke or whatever. So yeah. I mean, that's not, yeah, it wasn't a hundred percent clear. You kind of have to be yeah. paying attention, close attention when you're reading it. Um, yeah. again, it's just really cool, really interesting ideas. Um, but where my confusion comes in, is like, I, I don't really understand the connection to i think you said grandmaster it's high father okay. uh leader of the, the new gods i don't really understand like why the death of atlas has thrown the fourth world into chaos yep. like what what does that have to do with everything that's going on to the point that dark side and high father have to team up you know these brutal mortal uh enemies that are you know complete nemesis of each other like they're teaming up they send orion not to get the body of atlas but to get the body of good looks like what why like first of all what did atlas's death do and i maybe earlier i just i'm forgetting what why has atlas's death caused you know this catastrophe that's looming for the fourth world so why is that the case and why what does good looks body have to do with you know Mm -hmm. that like why why does orion go into get good looks body like that's what i don't understand but yeah. again everything else um and it, it may make more sense once we get the end of the story as tom king uh narratives often do but you're right about the epic battle between starman and orion i love starman who's this uh, you know very much obscure character obviously like a lot of these characters are dingbats of danger street um warlord less so but lady cop and um and certainly this version of starman he goes toe to toe with orion orion the son of dark side so if you're not familiar with Orion, he's like the legitimate biological son of Darkseid, you know, one of the most powerful beings in the DC universe. And in order to sort of seal a ceasefire that uh, new Genesis and Apocalypse, have, you know, these two planets of the fourth world in order to seal the ceasefire that they agreed to, they traded sons, right? So high father sent his biological son, Scott free, who you know is miracle man to be raised by Darkseid, Darkseid, you know, threw him in, gave him the granted goodness, basically to, to be tortured. Meanwhile, uh, High father took Orion, uh, you know this offspring, this biological offspring of Darkseid, who was, you know, very rough and gruff and uh, quick to anger and violence, and and tried to raise him, you know, with the best values of, of New Genesis. So, you know, he's much more of uh, an anti-hero. But he, again, he's Darkseid's son, so he loses his temper and he can be um, quick to anger and and that sort of thing. Um, but he's very powerful, extremely powerful. So the fact that this obscure version of Starman, and you know, when people say Starman, everybody thinks of the James Robinson run for the most part, um, or maybe they think back to the Starman of the Golden Age. Very few may think of the Starman in the 80s, Will Patton, um, but there's been all these different versions, right? And th- this one, uh, by far and away, the least well-known, you know, version. He's an alien from another planet, you know, blue skin, whatever. But, man, he goes toe-to-toe with Orion. He actually beats Orion. You know, the uh, Digbats of Danger Street show up, Mm -hmm. uh, attracted by the explosions and lights and whatever of this battle. They show up, and Starman's there. Orion's laying on the ground, vanquished. And then Starman kind of, as Rocky said, they fight to a stalemate. Starman can't stay conscious either, and he passes out. But, oh, my God, like this guy went toe-to-toe with Orion and took him out? Almost, (laughs) almost you know was the victor but you know it ends up being kind of a a mutual uh knockout so again just like really cool ideas um and i haven't even mentioned like the fact that the dingbats want to get um revenge for the death of their uh their compatriot good looks uh that and is they might get well. it too.
1: They might get it too because the one dingbat there's uh, with Starman passed out, he can shoot, he can yeah. put a bullet in Starman's head and, and, and get revenge right then and there. So,
0: yeah, you know. yeah, not Yeah, the cliffhanger <clears throat> ending non fat with the gun, uh, about to walk up and put a, a cap in Starman's ass, I guess I'd say. <laughs> but again, the idea like here, here it's the dingbats <clears throat> of Danger Street, right? Again, obscure characters have shown up here and there, um, mostly in that first issue special, but kind of a at the time when they were created, I feel like it was sort of an update of the Newsboy Legion. I mean, these are not characters that would be that would ascribe these sorts of uh, emotions, you know, this idea of, of revenge and wanting to kill. So a little meta uh, and talking about I don't know if it's if Tom King is purposely talking about gun violence or um, just kind of the, the angst of youth um, taking it to the nth degree that we have in, in, you know, in our current culture, unfortunately. So uh, there's a lot to unpack here. Again, excellent work from Tom King. Gorgeous art by Jorge Fornes that really grounds it all. And the flowery uh, narration, this sort of fantasy tale, this Arthurian legend narration from Dr. Fate's helmet, um, which, you know, the helmet of fate, it's just fantastic. Like, it's so fun. Like, it's not this. I didn't know what to think. I mean, when when the series was first announced, I was like, what? What the hell is Tom doing now? It sounds so weird and out there. You know, I trusted it would be good because I trust Tom King, but this has far exceeded any sort of expectations that I had. It's just really, really been a great, a great ride. So, can't wait to see where it goes next. Uh-huh. Uh, all right. Speaking of exceeding expectations, Superman Lost Number Two from writer Christopher Priest on plot and script. Carlo Pagulian handles plot and pencils. Jason Paz, his longtime collaborator, and uh, does inks. Jeremy Cox on colors who often inks uh, or colors rather Pagulian, And then Willie Schubert does letters. Uh, First issue was a bit of a setup. Talked about how Superman ended up light years from Earth. Here we see the first aftermath of that. We get a little bit in the present time. Superman back uh, in his apartment in Metropolis. We see some of the after effects. The fact that he's not breathing when he sleeps because he's so used to holding his breath from being out in space for so long. We get some hints that uh, Lois and Batman are still worried about Clark and also Batman's doing a little bit of legwork for the whole political investigation expose that Lois Lane is working on. But the vast majority of the issue is Superman when he's first out in space trying to figure out where he is and how he possibly can get home. And it it moves a The plot, once you get out of space, moves pretty quickly. In those moments, we do get some good character moments, we do get some good exposition, and we do get some sort of good contextual pieces that help us understand that Superman is out there and isolated and alone. But in between these different vignettes, if you will, where Superman's on this particular planet or on this particular spaceship or on this particular location, it, it... A lot of time passes, right? Like you, we see him there moments after apparently he, uh, he arrived after, um, stopping the singularity, which we get some context when he's telling the story of that to these aliens that, that pick him up moments after he was, um, transported all this distance and they're, they're like shocked. Oh my God, you stopped a singularity. How's that possible? And then, uh, you know, they say, oh, we, you know, we tracked where you're from. We can send you home. You just have to give us these credits. He's like, I don't have any money. And they just dump him. They're like, what? You have no money. I mean, they're, they're out there. They're they're traders. Bottom line is they want dollars or credits or whatever, you know, the, the currency might be. Superman can't give it to him and they just abandon him. Uh, and then he's, uh, you know, on this other planet. And again, we get some some context. But in between the two, by the end of the issue, weeks, if not months, have gone by that he's been out there. And he runs into this guy on another planet, uh, not unlike Earth. It's very disparate in terms of what the environment looks like. He's in this one locale, and it's like the green fields of Kansas. He's in another place on the same planet, and everything is toxic and sort of post-apocalyptic. And there's hints that the world is very divided; they can't come together as one. Um, but when Superman, uh, when he's asked by one of the uh, citizens of this planet, you know, how long has you been out here, he can't. He's like, I can't even tell you. When there's not a sunrise or a sunset, uh, it's hard, you know, and you've been, you're just out here isolated and alone. It's hard to tell how much time's gone by, weeks, months, maybe. So in terms of pacing, even though in those individual moments, you get some good character moments and, and great sort of feel for what Superman's going through. It really is moving along quite quickly here. Like, you know, weeks to months have gone by since that first issue, since Superman closing the Singularity. So um, I'm really in this not least of which is the Carlo Pagulian art. The line work is excellent. I would not have necessarily expected this from Pagulian because again, like I'm most familiar with his work where he previously worked with Christopher Priest on the Deathstroke miniseries, which was very street, very urban, very grounded, down to earth. You know, you're talking about blade weapons and guns and that sort of thing. So to have him be doing the most fantastical stuff with Superman out in space, drawing alien uh, architecture and alien landscape and what have you. Absolutely gorgeous. I love his take on Superman. And we even get a new costume from Superman on the final page. That's all white with the the Superman emblem on his chest, standing out more than ever. He's got an oxygen mask as we've seen Superman have uh, in my favorite Superman in space stories of all all time uh, exile from Roger Stern way back in the day. Um, This reminder that, Superman does need to breathe like once in a while. He can hold his breath for a really, really, really long time, but he does need oxygen once in a while. Um, And kind of on that note, there are um, hints here. Priest Priest says a few times about the way solar radiation interacts with Kryptonian um, biochemistry and biology. And it has to do not only with uh, the solar radiation, but also with gravity and how it sort of affects Kryptonian cells. So that's a little bit of a new take. Uh, I'm sure... Christopher Priest has been sitting on that for a long time, and I love it. It makes perfect sense. And uh, again, this is a a powerful Superman, uh, but not you know invulnerable, not completely indestructible. Um, you know, he does need to breathe, and so it's marrying the best parts of um, different eras of Superman together in a really interesting way. And the only thing I'm just not sure about, as I mentioned uh, previously when we covered the first, like in terms of what philip kenny johnson is doing superman traveled light you know years in no time at all when he was battling luther so i guess you just kind of have to take that with a grain of salt um because this looks like it's going to be a really fun story why it took him so long to get back why uh he's what he's carrying around because he felt he was gone you know for what do you say like 20 years or something for lois it was only you know a matter of minutes how we reconcile that i don't know it'll be interesting to see the last time we had some Superman shenanigans with time moving differently for different characters, we got John K- Kent aged up and we all know how that was received. So I'm sure fewer people are paying t- attention to this, uh, although they should be because, uh, again, it's an interesting story and the art and colors are absolutely fantastic. So I really enjoyed this. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't really have much else to add. It was just fantastic. Blew me away. So enjoyable. What are your thoughts?
1: uh i never uh i never enjoyed it as much as you did but i, I didn't mind it i just thought it was uh i just I, I actually thought nothing much happened in it i thought it was a little bit uh boring to be honest um but you know hearing you talk about it i actually get more excited about it so <laughs> I, I you have my compliments my friend i um i never uh i never really paid much attention to the um i was more interested in the moments frankly between lois and superman uh, I, I'm actually less interested in terms of what happened to him in the 20 years. I can imagine he had all kinds of things happen to him in 20 years. I kind of like not knowing because I like that being a mystery. And I like, I mean, the, the most poignant scenes for me were the very beginning uh, where, you know, Lois, you know, looks in on him in their bedroom and he's coiled up in a, in a fetal position. And he's not breathing because he's, he's used to not, you can imagine he's apparently he's, he's used to not, he's used to holding his breath for long periods of a time. So you can imagine, was he, was he, how long did he spend floating in space? You know, yeah, like he was, he's not even in the bed. He's laying on the floor. Well, that's just it. And so I like, you know, so you, you got to ask yourself, oh my God, this, this, you know, I mean, you talk about PTSD, you know, with that, there's that, you know, post-traumatic stress syndrome or, you know disorder ptsd whatever the superman equivalent is or kryptonian equivalent of that did he in, in fact have some of that or like what exactly happened to him i actually kind of like the fact that we're not you know i kind of like discovering what happened to clark in, in the present Let, let's find out as lois finds out uh, and of course we we're getting the flashback here the flashbacks you know uh the flashback was kind of humorous i mean he comes across these, these aliens actually help him out they screw up they they misread his physiology they feed him carbon carbon dioxide instead of oxygen and so he he kind of pukes and throws up first and then uh then they're 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 nice enough the sad part is these aliens actually locate Earth for him and are more pre- than prepared to, to send him back to Earth. They will actually fly him to Earth but they need 3,200 credits. Of course, Superman has no money and so they immediately deject him <laughs> and they shoot him down on this planet and then he he lands, you know, he's on this planet and he flies around this planet. The, the art's absolutely beautiful. I mean, the art is really fantastic and and as he's being shot down on this planet, uh, the revelation which which you, you alluded to, the fact that apparently if a, if a planet has two moons, it, it, it the, the the gravity and the between the gravity and something else, it, it might impact his ability to to fly and to maneuver. And so, like you said, that is new. That's new new to canon, I believe. And um, again, it it did it did feel like he's had a lot happen to him in this issue, and um, it, it makes you wonder. You know, at at the end here, you know, Christopher Priest is usually he's one for. He is. He can be really. He can really decompress a story. I think he's doing that in Black Adam. Just because you have twelve issues, just because they assign you twelve issues, doesn't mean you have to tell them you need twelve issues to tell the story when it doesn't really merit it. But that's another. That's another comic. But uh, the art here is fantastic. I love the all white suit. It, the way it's artistically rendered is, is gorgeous. I, clearly, I'm guessing the white costume must have some scientific reason it, in order to maybe hold solar energy or solar power long enough so he can maintain enough power for space flight for as great a distance as possible. I kind of like the way it looks. Clearly, he's he's thinking about going home and making his way home. And, uh, you know, he's bound and determined. But clearly, we know that he doesn't get there for an awfully long time, at least in his mind. And, but but, but for me, the, the most powerful moments were the first four or five pages well, where he's just in that fetal position, and I'm wondering, what the hell happened to this guy? But, uh, you know, I, I thought it was kind of a meh issue when I read it, but, uh, you know, now upon pondering it and hearing your thoughts, I think it, it's a better issue than I gave it credit for.
0: Yeah, again, I, th- I think there's just a lot there. And you, you bring up a really interesting point, actually, about the the white suit, so... One of my favorite stories back in the New Adventures of Superboy, which is a series from the early to mid '80s, uh, in the in the backup story, actually, um, Superboy gets a new costume, and instead of the costume being mostly blue, <laughs> yeah. it's yellow. It's mostly <laughs> yellow, and yeah. when he's out there fighting, like he he feels bullets more than he normally would. They still don't pierce his skin. Uh, and he has a harder time flying and his strength isn't quite what it is. And I remember that. Story. Realized, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Ma Kent had, had created this new costume for him to give him, you know, something different. And what he discovers is because it's, you know, the way color works in the world, because it's yellow, that's because yellow is what's being reflected, right? Yellow is hitting the material. Like all light, the, all, all the visible spectrum is hitting the suit. And the one that's the wavelength that's being reflected back is yellow. And we all know, you know, light from the yellow sun gives him his power. So he wasn't absorbing as much yellow light because the costume was mostly yellow. And so he yeah. realized, I never wear a yellow costume. He's got to wear, you know, something different. Um, and it, yeah, it was just so, so fun and so interesting. And so what I'm, as you're saying, oh, yeah, this white suit, maybe it has to do with whatever. So, white, the color white, if you will is actually all colors being reflected nothing being absorbed and black is all colors being absorbed and reflecting nothing so <laughs> you wonder is he going to have the same problem right like he's out there <laughs> trying to fly i don't but know he's not going to be absorbing as much because if you look at it, he's all cut co- you see it on the cover there rocky has, yeah. if you're watching son, you, the only part of his skin that's not covered is his face so how is he going to be absorbing any any radiation but but who knows maybe this is a special suit that is somehow facilitating you know more uh yellow sunlight being absorbed or, or yellow radiation being absorbed or what have you so really interesting things to think about um when you know when we talk about the way science works at least science and comics so uh all right anyway let's move on up next we have uh, multiversity harley screws up the dc universe issue two. did you did you read this
1: I did. I, I gave it a. I gave it a couple, uh, two screen reads. Why? You want me to talk about uh, it? Oh, you- yeah, I
0: mean, again, I didn't read the first issue. I, this is just not for me. Frank Thierry uh, does words, it says. Logan Fairbear on pictures. So, I, I li- like, literally, didn't even open it. So, if you have anything to add, uh, feel free. Well, uh, I,
1: can- yeah, well, I, I will say that, um, look, I mean, uh, writer Frank Thierry, I think one of the things, through no fault of his own, is that maybe? I'm assuming that when he read this, he probably didn't know that it would come on at a time when I think that we readers of the of DC Comics, I think we're slightly over. Inundated with multiverse stories, multiversal stories where, where there's multiversal consequences and everything else and this happens to come out at a time where we already had a Harley, a Harley who laughs and we already had a multiversal adventure for Harley And but having said that I did I wanted to give this a fair shake and I did have the time to read it and this is a Starro story so I immediately it, it opens up where you immediately see Starro and basically the central gist of it is Starro uh, and, and his, all his little stars, Staros have sort of taken over the world and it's revealed by the end of the issue that they've actually taken over all of time and space. Now, uh, what's... I immediately thought of the Suicide Squad movie, which is a movie that I absolutely love and I can't believe didn't make a billion dollars, but that's just the way it was. If I love a movie, it doesn't make a lot at the box office. But I love the Suicide Squad. I love Storrow. I love that movie. And I love how Harley Quinn took out Storrow at the end of that movie. It was just awesome when she jumps into the eye. Anyways, so I I have to admit, this. that's sort of what pulled me into this right away when I started to, to look into it. And uh, she she meets another version of herself, another Harley from another another multiverse, another Earth that was that. Whose formative origin was didn't have to do with the Joker, but this other Harley's formative origin was because of Starro. She was taken over by Starro, and she uh, because she she ate something that the Starro stuck to her face didn't like, and so that weakened it. She ripped it off, and she became the Harley Quinn of her universe. And now she's basically trying over coming over to ours to help save ours uh, with the help of uh, our Harley basically in a nutshell and uh red tool her Harley sidekick red tool is uh he's kind of like the main he's he's taken over by star and he's the main bad guy and you know the you know it is it is fun it is um i'm not i'm not a big fan of frank Tears. Uh, i don't the humor didn't land for me the jokes didn't land for me but you know, it is, it is fun. And the art really is, you know, the art's really good. It's stylistic. It might not be for everyone, but I mean, I got to give the art is, it's very detailed. The backgrounds are great. The blood and the guts, uh, the layouts. I mean, the, uh, the whap, the chalk, the cracks, uh, the automata, automata, What's that? What's that fancy word? All those. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you. You said it. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to attempt to say it. Uh, I'll just butcher it, but no, I, there's fun to be had here. I mean, it's not my kind of Harley. It's not my favorite iteration of Harley. But if if you've been a fan of the Harley Quinn run during the G- Jimmy Palmiardi, Amanda Connor, and Frank Tierra, he's written Harley before, I think you. Know, I think people would enjoy this. And it does end. I mean, there's there's more issues there. I think this is six issues long. So now we're, we're going to be getting Starro t- taken over time itself. And so we're, we're going to be seeing Harley jump through various bits and pieces and time periods of the DC universe. So it might be really fun. I'm really curious to see what characters of the DC universe Frank Thierry has uh, Thierry has, has Harley uh, make fun of? <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see where it is moving forward.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Uh, all right, let's move on to the uh, last book we're going to talk about in detail. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, so we have Lazarus, Planet, Revenge of the Gods, Part 3. This is from writer G. Willow Wilson. Pencils by Emanuela Lupikino and CN Tormey. Inks by Lupacino and Raul Fernandez. Colors by Jordi Belair. Letters by Pratt Brosso. And then there is a, a backup story that focuses on Nubia and um, the Amazons that are still on Themyscira called Divine Intervention. That's written by Becky Clunan and Michael W. Conrad, Aletha Martinez on pencils, Mark Morales and John Livesey on inks, Alex Gormas does colors and Becca Carey on letters. So I, I'm actually, this is starting to pull me in a, a little bit. You know, We know that the, um, the Wonder Woman run lately has been a, a bit of a mess. Um, but it feels like we're finally getting some momentum. It feels like we're moving towards something. Um, and I'm enjoying it. And and part of what I'm really enjoying about this is this is not a wonder woman book. And what I mean by that is when you read wonder woman, the regular wonder woman title, it has a lot of the same feel of this. Maybe the, the dialogue isn't quite as sharp. the, The storytelling isn't quite as crisp and clean. Um, but it feels similar in that Wonder Woman is just one character amongst many who uh, are part of the book. It's very much an ensemble book that works for this, right? Because this is not a Wonder Woman book. The problem I have with it in Wonder Woman is, if you're a Wonder Woman fan, you pick up a book called Wonder Woman, you expect Wonder Woman to be kind of the star of the show. She needs to be the protagonist. She needs to be the you know kind of the smartest person. And if she makes mistakes, she needs to you know um, redeem herself in the eyes of the the reader. That hasn't been the case with what's been going on in Wonder Woman. She's been, at times, she's felt like an afterthought in her own book. Um, and it, again, in this book, she's just part of a larger narrative that's going on with Yara Floor, with uh, Shazam, with Cheetah, with the, you know the gods, even with her mother uh, Hippolyta, who finally makes a, an appearance in the in the backup story. So um, I'm enjoying this a lot more than I thought I I would. Maybe it's because I just had zero expectations with what we got um, with Lazarus Planet, which was kind of an underwhelming event. Um, I think the art is really solid. The only nitpick I have is when the gods do show up on Earth and they're about to go to war with Wonder Woman and her compatriots. It's like they have this giant army, right? Like you would expect of uh, an Olympian army. And it's like, really, Wonder Woman's gonna raise an army to fight against them. And it's going to be like Etta Candy and Steve Trevor and, and Cheetah. Like these are not people who even, well, I mean, Cheetah has superpowers, but Etta Candy and Steve Trevor, they don't even have powers, right? Siegfried, uh Siegfried, I guess you could argue, you know, pretty formidable uh, with a sword, but still, right. I mean, these guys are going to call down lightning. It seems like it would be a slaughter in no time. So that, that, that doesn't really have much of a ring of truth to it. Um, but You know, I I can kind of set that aside because for the most part, this main story I'm enjoying and I see the end in sight. And obviously we hope that it it leads to a satisfying conclusion because we know we have Tom King's uh, Amazonian terrorist type story coming later uh, this year. So we'll see how that all plays out. But
1: uh, what were your thoughts? Well, you know what? Uh, I I actually know exactly where you're coming from that. Uh, this does feel better. This is, this has been, this is a substantially better Wonder Woman story. Uh, and that is not saying much at all. That's my opinion because this is still, I could go on a rant on this and, okay let me just start with this. First of all, I understand this is better than what we've been getting from Wonder Woman the, the last year. There's no question. And it is kind of interesting, this revenge of the God, war of the, whatever revenge the gods are trying to get war against, trying to <clears throat> defeat mankind or humanity in order to create fear. So fear is close to worship and then that'll power up the gods. And, and, um, uh, in, in this issue, it's revealed that Hippolyta, working behind the scenes, which, of course, we've, we're, we've been told this, we've never been shown this at any point along, at any, it, despite all these issues, Hippolyta's apparently been talking to other gods, trying to create her own team of gods to go against Hera, because she knows what Hera's been up to. And, you know, Hippolyta doesn't bother, you know, to give Wonder Woman her own daughter a heads up, or the Amazons a heads up, or anybody a heads up. But you know, that's besides the point. But thank God, Hippolyta has is is has done all this. Last issue, we we Wonder Woman's stupidity was on full display when she, actually it was two issues ago, when she she made a deal with Hera. Hera, she actually believed Hera. Hera said she would give Wonder Woman godhood uh, in exchange; she would protect the Amazons from what the gods would do to humanity. And of course Wonder Woman said yes w- presumably with the idea that she was going to be granted this godhood, become a goddess and then defeat Hera once she gets these powers. Of course Hera is not as stupid as as that and uh, much to Wonder Woman's chagrin, uh, Hera never granted her godhood but in fact Tied her to the cliffs of Promethea, where she was ultimately rescued by a man who she was completely ungrateful for being rescued by this man. And And in this issue, this man is revealed to be Ares himself. Ares himself. Last issue, we also had Shazam, Billy Batson. His, the wizard stripped him of his powers, but instead of being turned back into Billy Batson, he was just a shriveled up Shazam. And in this issue, Hippolyta apparently now has the power to grant powers. She could, she, all she had to do was touch Billy Batson's, or all she had to do is touch, she touched Shazam's forehead and lo and behold, upon touching Shazam's forehead, he turned, uh, he got his powers back. And even though it uh, doesn't make any sense, actually, she, she, she says, though I am not one of your patrons, I bless you. You must defend your world, though it will take all your strength, the strength you have left. So apparently just Hippolyta's blessing will allow Billy, you know, Shazam to access all his powers, despite the fact that the wizard took them away. That really doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, Now we could say maybe it's cool, but it it doesn't, again, how can Hippolyta just undo what the wizard did? That doesn't make much sense. But you know, one of the the irony here, one of my biggest beefs about all this uh, is that we got all these tough warriors. You know, there's only one person in this entire story so far, other than a couple of children in a couple of panels in the first For You issues, that there's only one person that's been crying like a suck, crying like a little baby, and that's Wonder Woman herself. She's crying. She cries in this issue. Wonder Woman cries. She cries. What have I done? She's sobbing. Is this what a hero does? Is it, I mean, is this what a hero does? I mean, this bothers me. Cheetah comes up to her. She she needs to be consoled by a psychopath, Cheetah. And then, you know, Cheetah even tells her, I told you, you you shouldn't have tried negotiating with the gods. And then she says, how do we fight them, Barbara? How do we fight all the gods at once? And she's sobbing. Talk about a stupid question. I bet you if you poll just the idiots of the DC universe, every citizen with an IQ above Let's say below eighty. I'm sure any one of them could tell you how you're going to defeat the Greek gods. How about calling the Teen Titans or the Justice League? I mean, is, she, is this really a question that Wonder Woman should be asking? I I can't believe that she's this pathetic. She's you know I mean she's a guest star almost in her own book, which I suppose is fine because I mean when you when you treat her this badly and she's not doing much in your own in her own comic. Why on earth would you want an elevator? And then, of course, thank God Ares shows up. He's the man of mystery. He's the guy dressed in black. Finally, that guy shows up. Now, of course, Ares, I'm sure, is going to end up being shown to be corrupt and everything else. How can I predict that? Because he's a man and he's Ares. He's the god of war. And he's going to end up being the bad guy and Wonder Woman at some point is going to stop crying, I hope, and then get on the battlefield and actually do something. But these, these little things just irritate me. But having said all that, that's, no. having said all that, there, we are, we, we did get some action here. We got, we got a backup here, Nubia, we, you know, uh, Philippus, uh, the, the, the lover of Hippolyta, uh, desperately goes to the, to the altar of Hippolyta and, and asks for help. And, and, and that's where Hippolyta comes down and says, I will help you. And she kisses her former lover and, um, And of course, that's how Hippolyta comes back on the scene and she's going to empower the Amazons. And then all the goddesses who, of course, have been nowhere to be found. Suddenly, all the former patron goddesses of the Amazons who've been completely absent from the beginning, completely allowed Hera to do whatever she wanted, allow Hera to wreak all this havoc on mankind. I mean, just the... uh, I I say again, the the, the logic and the reasoning and the, the indifference... And now to to allow this destruction and then to allow destruction to happen that you could have stopped. And then, as these Amazon goddesses, patron goddesses have done, only at the 11th hour, come back once all this destruction on humanity has been wrought. Now come back and, and try to play hero. It just seems, that's how it plays out to me. And, you know, it's just... This is one of the reasons why I I have such a distaste. I I don't mind if if you're going to write gods that way, because gods, if you want to make them indifferent and evil and everything else, but when you make Wonder Woman pathetic when you make her sobbing when you make her worship these tyrannical gods and god and even resurrect them that's what drives me crazy and so i can enjoy this for what it is thank god for billy bats and shazam i hope he has a day in the sun he hasn't had one yet in this storyline he's been made to feel like an idiot yara floor is apparently more intelligent than than shazam he's got the wisdom of solomon and uh but in any event um i had to get that out i'm sorry but Am I enjoying this? Yes, this is a better Wonder Woman story that's been told in in probably many a year, but uh, again, it could still be better, my friend. <laughs> oh, you're on mute. Yeah, I think
0: that goes without saying. Uh, it's been problematic. It just maybe maybe it sh- shows just how bad the Wonder Woman title has been that. I don't know. I'm. I, I obviously enjoy this more than you did, but yeah, it's still yeah. problematic. And the other thing is, you know, you mentioned plenty of stuff about what happened in the backup story. Like, there's no reason that, that it should be a backup. You know what I mean? Like, it's so intertwined with what's going on in the, the main story. So it's, I'm not not really clear why it's different. Like, why does it need to be its own separate thing? Just give us those pages, you know, interspersed amongst the the regular story. So anyway, um, well, that does it for the books that we're going to talk about in detail. As I said, there are a few other titles out this week in terms of single issues. Uh, Batman and Scooby-Doo Mysteries, number seven. Batman The Audio Adventures continue season three, uh, number four. And as far as collections go, we've got Detective Comics, volume four, Riddle Me This, which is was that really weird story that we got after the Mariko uh, Tamaki run um, with riddler and he was podcasting and and all that sort of thing. Uh it collects detective comics 1059 through 1061. And then we've got Super Sons, a uh, Superman, sorry, Son of Kal-El volume 1 which collects Tom King's uh Tom Taylor rather his uh, Superman Son of Kal-El 1 through 6. And then finally Future State Gotham volume 3 Batman at War trade paperback which uh collects Future State Gotham number 13 through 18 which neither Rocky nor I were uh we're big fans of. So, um, you can read that at your, at your own risk. (laughs) I'll just put it that way. Uh, so yeah, that's going to do it for this
1: episode. Uh, you want to give your uh, book of the week? Uh, yeah, my book of the week is, uh, I have to go with danger street.
0: So that's not, yeah, not not a, not a bad pick at all. I think for me, um, I have to go with uh, the Superman Lost. That for me was uh, my favorite book of the week. Um, just uh, from the costume to the uh, the angst that you talked about with the trauma to the, the Carlo Pagulian art for me. Uh, I mean, I know I'm biased because Superman's my favorite character, but yeah, for me, that was uh, my favorite book. I, although, you know, Danger Shape was fantastic as well. Um, but you pick that. So I'll go with, uh, with Superman. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, that's going to do it for this episode. As I said, everybody, we appreciate you joining us as always. Don't forget to head over to YouTube. If you have not already search for Rocky's channel and you know what to do when you get there, ring the notification bell, subscribe, smash the like button, leave some comments below. We love interacting on there. Uh, it's comic space, boom exclamation point. Um, Conversely, if you've always watched us on YouTube and you're curious about the other audio only content, which is about to start ramping up again uh, on the Comic Source Podcast, just go to wherever you get your podcast, do a search for the Comic Source and subscribe. So that's gonna do it for this episode, everybody. Uh, We hope you enjoyed it and we'll talk to you next time. Catch you later. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe and rate us.